Welcome back to the 90th percentile. This is your host, Jeff Ponce, a member of the Prospect team here. I am joined, as always, by Matt Pajak, my co-host of Loading Sports. Matt, we're switching it up a little bit today. First two episodes, we went into Finding Your Fit. We had great discussions with Garrett Martin of Austin P, as well as uh, Nick McLean of Arizona State. Um, I think we cursed him, though, in that USC series, so hopefully he brings it in the UCLA series. Sorry about that, Nick. <laughs> but today we're going to switch it up a little bit. Wanted to have a discussion on something that I think is probably one of the more discussed topics, particularly around the draft, around pitching, around pitching injuries as well, and that's velocity. Um, it's something that everybody's chasing for good reason. Um, and one of the things we're going to talk to is how it's linked to op- opportunities and obviously performance as well. Um, but welcome back. Let's get into it a little bit. This is a discussion that you had sort of prompted me with last night that you wanted to have. We got some notes in here, may end up running a couple of different episodes so we don't uh, glaze over everybody's eyes. But without further ado, let's uh, let's chat a little bit about velocity and why it's so important in this game at this point. Yeah, sorry everyone. It's just me and Jeff today. No special guests. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll get someone on for a another segment of why just a general discussion on velocity. I think there's a lot of different ways that this conversation can go. I think there's a couple things that we're going to touch on and then go. Um, and you know, it's something that we'll come back to and at a later episode. But um, I think you could just go down so many different rabbit holes when talking about velocity. And I think it's really important. I think both. Jeff and myself are going to come at this not from like, hey, velocity is the end all be all, but kind of a general understanding of why velocity is chased by so many um, at every level. And then kind of some different uh, Jeff. Jeff's done some really interesting research into college guys who have gained velocity since entering pro ball. Um, And a lot of that's kind of affected their prospect status, too. So uh, velocity. Yeah, it's it's king, but it is. Uh, it comes with its its price tag on it too. So, um, yeah, Jeff, I don't know if you want to you want to roll right in here. I know that you mentioned velocity being linked to uh, performance and opportunity. I think there's a lot of people out there, and you know, I, I'm sure you've encountered them too. Who, mm. you know, they're the you know command is king crowd. Uh, I think it's a little bit like politics, right? So, like you've got you know <laughs> sure. the far right, you got the far left, and then. Uh, it's like command is king, velo is king, and I, I think it's it's definitely somewhere in between. Um, and I do think that velocity is a, a huge like that's an eye catcher for opportunity for kids that are trying to go to college or trying to get seen by the the pro community. I mean, Jeff, think of one time when you heard that some dude was throwing ninety seven or ninety eight, like a high school kid or a college kid or whatever, and it wasn't massively tweeted about and shared and. Uh, buzzed about in a scouting section at you know whether it be an amateur game or a pro game or whatever it is so sure um, yeah I mean it's it's definitely linked to opportunities the guy who throws 99 who has no idea where it's going is probably going to get the chance in pro ball over the guy who's 90 to 92 and can spot it up because 90 to 92 most of the time without plus movement is going to get barreled um yeah yeah, I think that's the thing, too, is especially as you get up the ladder, um, 
we've both been around the Cape. We've seen these guys that come in throwing 89 to 92 and seen them shove. Um, but it's rare that those guys don't, a don't add some velocity. And even if they are in the, the lower percentile of average velocity, we'll say like a Logan Allen, Logan Allen has to be a left-hander with outlier release traits and movement on his four seam and a really good pair of secondaries and command for it all to work. Like you have to check like three boxes in order for that to work. And it's, it's funny. One of the pitchers that I really liked last year's draft was Cooper Jerpy out of Oregon state and Jerpy struggled a little bit in, in pro ball and his, his early tests. It's only been like six or seven turns at this point. Um, but he's, you know, 89 to 91. And despite having really good release characteristics and good movement on the four seam, it's a flat vertical approach angle. So it's tough to get on plane with. Guys in pro ball are bar barreling that pitch a lot more than when he was in college. Now you could say that some of the command is maybe backed up early. Fine. Um, but it gives you a very small window in order to execute that those zones in the zone that you have to land and locate your pitches at is so much smaller at 89 to 92 than it is at three to five, four to six. And then you, the guys that are 95 plus will say, you know, especially as starters. Um, and I also think the other part of it too, and this is maybe getting off on a little bit of a tangent, Velocity provides you a variety of opportunities and roles. You don't see many, many relievers that are 90 to 91 with command unless they're way, you know, sidearm way out here and they hide the ball really well, or it's something that's coming from like behind somebody's neck, like way over the top and they create ride on it. It's, it's really hard to just be a guy with average movement, below average velocity and plus command and have like any sort of trajectory besides like a back end starter innings eater. And there's not many of those guys that can follow through on that as a starter, get up to the major leagues and have success sitting 90, 92, even with pinpoint control and execution, if they don't have movement and if they don't have velocity. And I mean, even beyond that guys that throw 99 don't need as much ride on their fastball, et cetera, uh, coming out of the pen. You can have, below average vertical movement and it's still going to play um because it's 98 99 you know like hunter brown doesn't have insane movement traits but hunter brown works because hunter brown sits 96 plus you know um and i think that is speaking of speaking of hunters and i just saw him on monday hunter green right like hunter green doesn't have pinpoint command hunter green doesn't have great deception hunter green doesn't really have great movement on his fastball uh but he just got paid i think he got what extended for over 50 million dollars yeah right and like that dude starting in the big leagues um so he doesn't check those three other boxes that the guy who's 90 to 92 has to check uh in in fit like color in the whole box it's not just like yeah. checking the box it's like you got to you know, there's no white spots in that box when you when you have to check that at 9092. I mean, I can I can speak on it from my end too. My favorite college pitchers that I watched pitch while I was living in North Carolina back in 2017, uh Darren McKechn, 
who uh, was Long Beach State College National Team. And he threw like he he had some funk, right? So it was like long in the back and then long follow through. And uh, he was 89 to 91. He threw four pitches that all moved in different directions and like really good college pitcher carved you up. I, he had really good numbers. Uh, he went to Seattle, I think, in like the 14th round. And he carved his way all the way up through the minor leagues. And then he got his opportunity at the big league level and he didn't last 1992 mm-hmm. with four pitches that move in four different directions. So like, I think that's, that's probably a really good example of like why velocity is important, especially when you're aspiring for the highest level of the game or you're evaluating for the highest level of the game. Um, it's really hard to bet on Kyle Hendricks when he's in college. And I think that's yeah. why those types of guys don't go particularly high in the draft because mm-hmm there's they got again they got to fill all the boxes the other one that i really liked was at miami and he had a ton of success there too evan mckendry and i think he's in the uh the tampa bay Rays system and he probably turns into that like optimized reliever at some point but he was another right-handed pitcher who was like 89 to 91 slider 78 to 80 and he had a plus changeup. but i just remember watching him and i saw him in person probably two or three times um, and if he didn't locate the fastball, it got barreled. If he didn't put the slider in a very specific spot, it got barreled. Yep. Um, and you can't just go out there and pitch with just a changeup. You can't do it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think like that's, you know, just, just for the sake of enjoying watching a pitcher pitch, like those guys were so much fun to watch in college, but, um, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit, Jeff. Talk about your uh, your study that you did there on some of those guys who were probably around McKechnie or Evan McKendry, and then got into pro ball and really took off uh, velocity wise. Yeah, and so I'd done this study right before the draft last year, and the intent a little bit was to maybe kill some of the concerns um, around somebody like Cooper Jerby. And it was more like these guys add velocity, a a majority of them add velocity, frankly. Um, But what I tried to look at was, all right, let's take a look at the top 50 pitchers taken in the last, you know, two of the last three drafts. I didn't look at 2021 simply because a lot of those guys had just debuted over the, previous three months hadn't been in pro player development for more than a year, less than a year on all of them. Um, so look at the 2019 class and I looked at the 2020 class, which obviously 2020 class was smaller, but there were still 50 pitchers taken. So it was a pretty even sample size. It gave me a sample of hundred pitchers. These were guys that you know, the first 50 pitchers, they're all guys that have some notoriety, some cachet, you know, some prospect pedigree, we'll say, um, and 64 out of the 100 added at least a mile per hour of velocity. 27 of that 64 added two miles per hour of velocity or more. There were outliers like Matt Brash, who had like five or six ticks in terms of his average velocity. But then on the, the back end, we saw 31 pitchers that saw a decrease in the fastball. Um, 16 of the, some of them were just like about the same. 
right? That it was like percentage points difference, you know, 0. 0.4, 0. 0.3, 0. 0.2. So technically they went down, but it was, it was a small thing. It, like it really wasn't the kind of difference differential that there was any big, you know, catastrophic changes, right? Sure. Um, 16 guys saw a decrease of one mile per hour or more. And only 10 of those 31 saw a decrease of two miles per hour or more, um, which is kind of interesting because it seems like the majority of those guys were either staying around the same velocity or adding velocity. And there was a, there was a larger group that was adding two plus miles per hour on their velo without changing roles. The majority of these guys, you know, over their first couple of years are going to be rolled out as starters. Um, now the one thing that maybe kind of comes into this, that maybe makes the data a little bit noisy is they had all of that 2020 shutdown to work on things, but I don't think that universally was necessarily a benefit for every pitcher. And a lot of the guys that we saw that lost velocity were guys that were injured. Um, like Graham Stinson was in this sample and Stinson was 97 his, you know, his year on the Cape that whatever 2019 summer or whatever um or 28 2018 summer and yep. then ends up ends up getting dragged ends up getting hurt in fall ball early part of the spring he was like 88 to 90 which was like down almost 10 miles per hour in velocity right and he's never really recovered health um so he's the, a lot of the guys that lost velocity were outliers and it was because of injury and a majority of these guys weren't necessarily injured um and i think it's interesting maybe thinking a little bit about why does that happen? You know, um, there's some stuff I think that kind of relates to the college game that we've talked about. Some of it is the actual focused velocity training and pro ball, especially with more progressive clubs that are more focused on helping their pitchers add velo. Um, and, you know, I think some of it too is just natural strength gains as your body matures and, and things like uh, along that nature. Yeah. And uh, I think that brings up a really interesting point. Um, and this is like conformity versus being the black sheep. And I think there's a number of different examples here. And I know like from a, I guess a conformity standpoint, um, there's a guy that you really like recently made his big league debut uh, who we, you know, we're both familiar with Tanner Bybee who added significant velocity once he got into pro ball. And I think uh, a lot of, you know, with him specifically, it was just like, Hey, he's in a very old school pitching development situation at Cal state Fullerton. Uh, they're running distance. They're throwing, you know, 80, 90 pitch bullpens. Like he's throwing a lot and he's not utilizing, I guess, some of the newer, uh, popular rhetoric around pitching development, if that makes sense. And I think that's mm -hmm. a very popular thing out West. I can speak specifically on, um, there's a pitcher in the Cubs system, Chase Watkins and Chase went, uh, from a high school in Northern California to Cal Poly, uh, which was his dream school at the time. And, um, you know, in, in high school, Chase, so he's six, four, 200 pound left-handed pitcher. Um, so he goes to Cal Poly and, you know, he was 90, 92 in high school. And then he was 87 to 89 as a freshman. Um, and it's mm -hmm. kind of like, well, why is he going backwards? And then he discovered driveline 
he went up there for a summer and I think he was touching 95. He said his arm never felt better. And then he got back to Cal Poly and he needed to like reconform, but he had learned over the course of the summer that there's a different way to do this so that his arm feels better and that he throws harder. So he went back that fall and uh, he had to run, you know, poles and in distance and all that. And uh, they were on a very specific old school, you know, pitching schedule and all that. And he said that like his arm didn't feel particularly great through the fall and he was back down to like 87, 89. And then he took a leap of faith and he jumped in. Uh, he jumped across the country to a Juco college of central Florida, I believe. And then after one year there, like his stuff ticked back up and he bounced over to Oregon state where they were a little bit more open to, you know, him being a little bit more progressive in how Mm -hmm. he went about his business. But you look back all the way to like UCLA around 2010, 2009, 2008. I can't remember specifically when Trevor Bauer was there, but like Trevor Bauer was the black sheep. Now, like Trevor Bauer is a really polarizing character, but he is a very interesting case study uh, in a baseball player, baseball development. You know, he gives you full access to a lot of different things that he did and he, and he does it unabashedly. Um, He was the black sheep there. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't afraid to like go do his own thing and completely say like, Hey, UCLA, whatever you guys are saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do my own thing with, you know, he had, he was doing all the driveline stuff before it was driveline, right? Yeah. He went down to Texas baseball ranch. He did all those yep. different things. So, uh, you know, fortunately for him, he kind of had, you know, the ability to do that and it worked for him, but like, that's not going to work for everyone because most people don't want to swim against the current. Um, they would rather not rock the boat and just, you know, conform to whatever it is. So, um, yeah, a couple different examples there, but I think Bybee specifically, I think if you go back and you look at your research, Jeff, was he not one of the guys who added some, like one of the largest? He He wasn't in the sample size, but when I update it now, I don't know if I'll update it this year and because I wouldn't look at 2022, but I would maybe fold in like 2021 and have an update on what the 19 and 20 guys look like. Um, but I mean, he's somebody that saw a four mile per hour increase in velocity. So he would definitely be more on the high end. Um, I think the average velocity added by, you know, these college pitchers that that I, I looked at um, was like two and a half miles per hour. And obviously there's some guys that like offset that a little bit by adding like four or five ticks, but there's sure. more of those guys and there are guys that drop two miles per hour. Um, and I think Bybee is like your, your perfect example of somebody who went from a very old school environment. There was a progressive team like the guardians that identified, okay, this guy has traits that we can then develop. Um, and I think that you see that with the best organizations, there's a lot of similarity between the players that they identify and, and target. Um, and then bring into the organization, whether that's the Rays, whether that's the Dodgers, whether that's the Mariners, whether that's the Guardians, the teams that are good with pitching development and you know develop not only a variety of different types of 
throwing motions and arm slots, et cetera, but also develop starters, you know? And I think that's the big thing with the Guardians model is how well they've been able to develop starters. And they saw traits. They probably saw pitchability and command traits. There's a lot of those guys. It's kind of what the Guardians go after. And then sort of develop the rest of it, right, around it. And they don't necessarily have the big velo gains that you see with the Seattle guys. Um, the Dodgers, I think, tend to go after like underrated athletes. And we can maybe talk about that a little bit. Um right. There's a lot of two-way guys, and was, I think Peyton Martin is one of them right now that's kind of popping. Chris Campos was another one. Um, you know, there's other examples. They went and they targeted Nick Frosso last year, who's a very good athlete and a guy that was in my study that added velocity, even when he was with the Blue Jays, added velocity, and then, you know, has come over to the, the Dodgers and has kind of tightened up the rest of his game. Um, but I do think there's a baseline of – command and pitchability and the ability to execute that is important um you know it's what separates a guy like bybee versus someone else in that class like griff mcgarry i think griff mcgarry is great the stuff is awesome um he kind of struggled a little bit with uva and we can talk about whatever we want with their pitching development there's been a lot of public scrutiny on their pitching development i mean they've had a variety of guys um that have gone there that were highly touted prep players mike vassal uh you know being one of them who's the lefty vassal. huh who was the lefty recently nate savino nate savino yeah savino was another one that was like 95 96 gets in the college he was gonna, i think both him and basil were gonna get first round money yeah exactly both pulled out of the draft yep and they both more or less lost money Vassal was back up now in in pro ball um his average fastball was more like four to five He'll touch a seven or an eight. So it's kind of back to what it was when he was in Massachusetts as a high school player. Um, you know, do you want to argue that, hey, maybe they added some, you know, command or whatever? But the Savino's a funny one because Savino's hurt right now. Savino's dealt with injuries and has seen velocity fluctuations with ever without ever really getting to that that high end. Like, well, we'll see. He's with the Diamondbacks now, and like I said, is on the IL. Um, when he returns, we'll see if there's a big jump there, but we've consistently seen it with a lot of these college guys. And I think that we just generally see more college pitchers than we do high school pitchers. Um, there's a risk factor there for teams, but also I think that there's some weariness based on guys who have a lot of velocity in high school and don't really develop all that, those secondary traits. So, you know, we talked about how important velocity is. But I think velocity is also important as like a component of other pieces of your pitching ability, right? You don't have to have 60 command, but I think sequencing is important. You know, there's other stuff like scouting reports and understanding your opponents, et cetera, but also just the ability to execute a variety of different pitches and add velocity and still be able to execute and not lose sort of that, you know, pitchability element that you have. It's kind of like hitters with, you know, guys that add, make changes, whether it's adding launch to their swing, adding, you know, angle to, you know, to the bat in terms of when they barrel up um, to get different types of results or even just adding strength to add exit velocity. You still don't want to have a guy who all of a sudden goes from no power, but a good plate skills to, diminishing plate skills and more exit velocity, but it's never going to be that like high end, high end 
exit velocity, right? Right. So there's, there's, there's trade-offs with all of it, really. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, I, and I think you brought up a really interesting point there. And I think Bybee is a perfect example. I think Frasso is a perfect example. And I think another example that I'll speak on that I saw a lot firsthand at Duke was Bryce Jarvis. Mm-hmm. Right. So like you're talking about three guys that were really good pitch ability righties. Now Jarvis was 89 to 91 touch of two. Uh, Frasso, when I saw him with the college national team was 90, 92. Bybee, I think for the most part was like 90, 93, maybe touch of four. Right. And all three of these guys had, you know, three or four pitches. Um, they could command three or four pitches movement profiles i know like jarvis's change up for some graded out as high as like a 70 but i was sitting there i'm like what do you really do with bryce jarvis at 9092 it, it was very similar to what i had already mentioned before on like mckendry and, and mckechnie right uh well he he went to i think he split his his summer before his junior year he was sophomore eligible he didn't go in the draft uh he pulled his name out he said i'm coming back to duke for one more year and that was right after i don't know if you remember he went on a roll Mm -hmm. um duke rolled right into west virginia and and he carved there and then i think the next week he got outpitched by kumar rocker and a no hitter at vandy it was something like that regardless he he pitched really really well that summer he decided all right i'm gonna go uh you know, split my time on what I'm going to do here. He wants to drive line. Uh, I saw him that fall and in like a one or two inning look, he was like sitting 95 and I'm sitting here. I'm like, okay, that's really interesting. Uh, the slider that was, you know, 77 to 79 was now 82 to 84 and the changeup that had all that plus movement. That was also up two or three ticks. And now you're sitting here and you're like, this is a different guy. Yeah. This is a different guy. No one could hit him. So I went out, I think it was early 2020. I saw him twice before COVID shut the season down. Yep. And the second time I saw him was against Florida State. And he was coming off of, might have been a perfect game, but at least a no-hitter. Might have been a perfect game against an Ivy League school. It might have been Cornell. can't remember at the time. Anyway, he follows that up with a start against Florida State where I think he was perfect through seven. So I think he had thrown 16 consecutive perfect innings. It was something like that. And he was sitting 93 to 95 with the fastball and all that stuff was there. And I'm like, how is this guy not going to go in the top 20 picks? Right. And I think that's that's the perfect illustration of like, this guy can really pitch, but I'm not really sure what to do with it. And then he adds two to three ticks of velocity on everything. And now all of a sudden you're like, Whoa. Yeah. Right. And that hasn't manifested as much for him in pro ball. Um, but it did for Tanner Bybee and it's happening for Nick Frasso, right. Where those guys could really pitch. And it's like, go back in time. If Darren McKechnie had the opportunity to do that, or if he had that in him, I don't even know if, you know, mm-hmm. he might've been tapped. Right. But like, if he could have got to 94, 96 and he could have added, 
you know, one to three ticks on each of his secondaries. Is Darren McKechnie like the number two starter in Seattle right now? Maybe. <laughs> Possibly. Right? So, yeah, I think that's what the whole discussion here is, is just like, look, velocity is kind of king, right? And like, we love guys who can pitch. And I think both you and I have seen a ton of guys who can really pitch over the years. Sure. And it's like, we've seen the example of the guy who is like, man, this guy's a really good amateur pitcher, college pitcher, whatever it is. If he can just get a couple more ticks, you know, and then we've seen the guy that actually does that and, and we've seen what it becomes. And that's, that's ultimately the, the balance that creates what's now becoming a dying breed in baseball, which is a 200 inning pitch, like a 200 inning starter in the big leagues, right? You got to have that balance of stuff and pitchability. Um, so that's why I, I guess Tanner Bybee is really exciting because I feel like that he's, he kind of looks like that. He's kind of manifested it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that like, you know, obviously he's dealt with a ton of injuries, but like DeGrom was like that too. Like DeGrom was kind of a pitchability guy that we saw steadily. He increased his velocity and his stuff. And with that, we saw this increase in performance. And Jarvis is a great example. And you were right. It was Cornell that he threw the perfect game against. And he had six and two thirds perfect in that FSU game, who was the 11th ranked team in the country at that time. And I think that goes back to sort of what we said in the opening. Jarvis didn't have the same opportunities in 2019. You know, getting drafted in the 37th round, but those are throwaway picks. We we sort of know that. They they hope there's some money they can move around and they can maybe negotiate somebody to take in a lesser deal and whatever. It was taken right. by the Yankees. He's a first-round pick because of the work that he put in, because of those gains and stuff, and that gave him opportunity. Now, has he manifested it, as you said, in the same way that, you know, a Bybee has or – like a DeGrom being the extreme example has. And there's other guys as well that we see doing stuff like this every year. No, Um, but there's opportunity for that to still happen. And I think the other thing too, is we see guys on the other side of it, like a guy like Griff McGarry, who was at UVA always had insane stuff and lacked some pitchability elements to him. He's in double a right now. Maybe he ends up as a multi-inning reliever, or, you know, a bulk starter, whatever, you know, whatever the role is. But I feel like we've seen a lot of changing in roles in the game because having velocity and being able to maintain your stuff throughout a game matters so much more now that years ago, a guy could come out with his best stuff for the first four innings, we'll say in the 80s, and that stuff may start to wane a little bit by the fifth, sixth, seventh inning. Well, the margin for error, just based on the strength of players, the athleticism of players, bat speed, you want to talk about the material bats are made out of even, like the margin for error just decreases every single year. And I don't think that these guys aren't necessarily built to go longer or don't have the ability to do it. I think that it's best for the team. It's best for winning ball games is to optimize the stuff that's opposing hitters are seeing in every single game. You know, it's the, it's the reason there's so many teams that go five and dive with a lot of these starters. Give us your best five innings. We'll go to the bullpen. You know, we have four or five guys that we can use to get three to five outs and they're going to bring their best stuff for those three to five outs. And a lot of those guys were these starters 
that had stuff sometimes and didn't have the pitchability, but they have it just enough to let it fly for, you know, four, five, six batters and get outs. And at the end of the day, I think that's one of the reasons we're not seeing the 200 inning starter. It's not just because guys are going for velocity. I think it's also because they need to have that level of velocity and stuff to execute over the long haul of a game. It's why there's so few horses because it's only the best of the best. It's guys like, you know, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon is interesting, you know, when he's healthy, because he's a guy that I've seen be three to five in the first inning. And then by the time he's in the sixth inning, he's six to eight. He's a guy that actually adds velocity throughout starts and can kind of ramp up and ramp down and still execute. And I think that's what makes maybe him unique. And some of these guys that are the best starters in the game. So unique. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about that in terms of like the importance of velocity throughout a game sort of limits how many innings guys even go. Cause there's so few guys that can hold that level of stuff into the. Yeah. And I, I think there's a couple of things here that I kind of want to address, but the first, the first one is like for anybody listening, who doesn't know what stuff is. All right. So you get a little fun, fun defined stuff. Uh, very simply it is velocity and movement. Okay. So uh, baseball and I think analytical models, uh, when analytics had its boom, I don't know, would you say like 10, 10 ish years ago is when it started to boom, especially yeah. on the pitching side. Um, I think when it became to like optimizing performance for your, your baseball team, you know, major league level, whatever level it was, it was just like, okay, well stuff gets more outs. All right. So then there became this pursuit of stuff. And now it's like to pitch in the big leagues, you got to have stuff. All right. So you got to have velocity and you got to have movement. So love it or hate it. Baseball created this, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think to Jeff's point, there's so few pitchers that can maintain their stuff five, six, seven, eight innings into a game now. And that's what we used to see back. And again, I'm not sitting here like point fingers at analytics by any means, but like before analytics, like the same guy today, who's, you know, 94 to 96 for four or five innings and then gets pulled. Maybe he pitched at 90, 92, you know, and maybe he, he, he didn't have as much swing and miss. Right. And like, maybe his ERA wasn't as good and maybe he went six or seven innings and maybe he was 190 inning starter. Right. But like, I think where you can kind of lose the forest for the trees a little bit in this discussion is just what baseball has created and what, what is the 200 inning starter now is so much harder to attain than it was even 10 years ago. Right. And you go back 20 years ago and it's like, Oh man, like you, Jeff, you could have been, no, I'm not saying Jeff could have been a a 200 inning starter in the big leagues, but it was, it was way more attainable for a lot of these guys to go out there because the standard was, Hey, you can go pitch 200 innings in the big leagues at 90, 92. Well, analytics kind of pushed the game forward to like, Oh, well, what happens if, and, and this is the whole discussion about like, you know, bringing in a guy in the sixth inning out of the bullpen who's throwing 97 and 99 for one inning. Right. Like, what happens if like our pitchers have stuff every single inning? We get better results. We get better results. We win more games. We win more games. We go to the playoffs. It's good for the bottom line. So, right. So now what we've done is we've basically like raised the bar as to what that is. And to Jeff's point, like 
you know, anybody listening, just really appreciate the guy who does throw 200 innings in the big leagues and goes out and, you know, gets Cy Young votes because, like, again, a little bit of a dying breed. Maybe not an entirely a dying breed, but, like, way more of an outlier than than we ever appreciated prior. So, um, yeah, Jeff, that's, that's, that's kind of what I want to say on that. So, analytics, push the game forward, uh, emphasis on stuff, and yeah. uh, appreciation for the guys who can go out there and like Garrett Cole. I don't think Garrett Cole's appreciated enough. I think maybe it's agree you know, his his resting face and the fact that he pitches for the Yankees and all yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those guys where it's like every year we're looking for the top five starters, and it seems like people bend over backwards to try to like not include him. And it's like, well, he's had this level of health for so long knock on wood there and he's performed at such a high level for so long it's a lot more than the tack or whatever it else is they want to throw at him um and that's a whole other discussion you know tack and adding movement and we have now pre-tack balls in the southern league that have added movement and all those sort of things that's kind of the next thing is people trying to add shape and you know everything else to the velocity that they have tack and Um, sticky stuff right exactly that but, increases your stuff. If it increases your stuff, exactly. you got a better chance to pitch in the big league. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I think the thing too is like we look at even the type of hitters that they're facing. It wasn't such a a dogma to swing at pitches outside the zone if you thought you could hit them. Like I, it's off the plate, but I can I can hit it to the opposite field. Nowadays, we're not even going after guys like that, and because of the margins for hitters are so much smaller because of the type of stuff that they're facing swinging at some of those pitches outside the zone. Don't do the damage that they did when it was a 90 to 92 mile per hour fastball. Um, You know, the other part of it is we have much more tightly regulated zones. Umpires in the major league level are graded on, you know, their balls and strikes and, you know, how well they call pitches throughout a game. That wasn't the case 25, 30 years ago. Um, if you go back and you watch, I remember like I think it was a Levon Hernandez no hitter. And you're seeing this guy getting two balls off the plate. It's like Cape umpires. If you go and you watch games in the Cape and you look at the strike zone in the Cape and how big it is versus what you see in double A, triple A, and then the majors, the zones get smaller and smaller, and there's more precision within there, which means it's much more advantageous for hitters to not swing at pitches outside of the zone because more often than not, they're going to get more called balls, which means they're going to have more pitches that they're going to see per at bat. There's benefits to just seeing more pitches to you as well as to your teammates to see what the guy's going to throw in certain counts, how the ball moves, etc. cetera. Um, but also you get on base. There's more guys that get on base. So pitchers have a lot less of, uh, a margin for error and it's a it's it's a high wire act in terms of you know executing with good stuff in the zone or around the zone and throwing pitches in ways that are deceptive that make hitters want to swing you know in the 80s in the early 90s we were watching games where guys were swinging out of the zone all the time i mean it was funny because i think it was like will clark on like some podcast or whatever that he's on had kind of mentioned that and it was like a discussion he had with like brandon crawford and he's very old school Clark, right? So whatever. But his whole thing was that now you have like a defined zone, a much more defined zone 
than what you had in the eighties. And you had to swing at some of that stuff outside the zone. Um, so I even think that for pitchability types, they can't get away with the stuff that they used to get away with. So that, that puts an even greater emphasis on stuff and even greater emphasis on velocity. And it's not just blowing it by somebody it's executing with pitches that, you know, are either going to get bad contact or bad swings. And it's a lot harder to get bad contact and bad swings than it's ever been in the history of the game. And I think we often like we kind of miss the bigger point there that with all this precision and all this accuracy also comes much smaller margins of error for pitchers and for hitters. Yeah. And I think that's a really good place to throw a bookmark in this conversation. Cause I think we could go for days, but yes, uh, if you took nothing out of this conversation on velocity, there's so much nuance to it. It's not just like, hey, velocity is king. It's not just like cut and dry. Like we understand there are scientific, there's another scientific paper that just came out. I looked it up yesterday. It was uh, May 2023. Uh, Increased pitch velocity is associated with throwing arm kinetics, injury risk, UCL reconstruction, and adolescent, collegiate, and pro baseball pitchers. It's not groundbreaking. These are, it's another study on the correlation between throwing hard, and elbow injuries, Tommy John. It's it's and it's an epidemic in baseball at all levels in this country, and and probably other parts of the world too, yeah. right? That's a completely different discussion, which we will get into. We will have the Tommy John discussion and how it relates to velocity. So it's a little bit of a I don't I don't think catch twenty two is the word for it, but like you're you're chasing after the thing that's going to bite you. But I you think it's a risk. To, it's a risk reward. Yeah, exactly. You know where it's like the reward is greater than the risk. Like you could hurt your arm throwing 90-92. That still could happen. You could have a shoulder injury throwing 90-92. It's not exclusive to guys that throw really hard. It maybe happens at a greater frequency to guys that throw really hard, but so do major league contracts and second contracts, getting drafted, first round money, bonus money, et cetera. The risk versus the reward you know, that's the question you kind of have to have. And I think for most, if not all pitchers that are out there, they're chasing the reward. They're chasing the opportunity and they're chasing, you know, the ability to get paid, um, which you can't blame them. You know, um, you do anything professionally. You, you want to be play, paid handsomely and you want to be paid amongst the best in your profession. I don't care what your job is. So, yeah, and I think there's a lot more things that we can talk about about this, too. Like We can go into in the next discussion some of the different profiles and types of profiles that you see in the draft and how their opportunity relates to velocity. And there's some empty velocity. There's some athletes that project velocity. There's some guys that kind of have a mix of the two. Yeah. I do want to talk about that beautiful thing called projection. So that will be a huge part of that conversation. Uh, And I do also, as a little appetizer, I will say this again, uh, throwing 95 at the age of 15 doesn't really do anything for you in the long run. No, it so. doesn't. Absolutely. All right. Well, that has been the latest episode of the 90th percentile. I'm Jeff Ponce. He's Matt Pajak. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? 
I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.